And welcome back to the Bill Bennett Show. Thoughtful conversation about the news of the day and address the existential threats to America. And we're dead serious today about that. We're going to talk to a couple of guys who understand those threats and have been thinking and writing about them for years. Joining me today, Brian Kennedy and Joel Farkas. Brian Kennedy, president of the American Strategy Group. He's also the chairman of the Committee on the Present Danger, China. Joel Farkas is the director of the American Strategy Group. I need to tell you I'm a fellow of the American strategy group here in Washington. But first, a few things I'd like to discuss before we get to those guys. Now, I got to say thank you to Claude, I guess, for not scolding me. My son scolded me. Okay. So I was talking about the whole Joe Rogan thing. I was on the Brett Baer show, you know, mm-hmm. report. Mm-hmm. And I said, let me just comment on this. I said, now, I don't know Joe Rogan. I've never listened to his show. I don't know Spotify. I wouldn't know how to get there if, I, if you told me. <laughs> My son heard it and he said, you know, dad, um, you're on Spotify. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People can hear your podcast on Spotify. Yes. (laughs) All right. Enough said. Your laughter tells it all. Okay. Right. Yeah, no, I'm uh, glad that your son, you know, always on the job, by the way. I didn't I did not hear that comment. And and, but I will assure you, had I heard that uh, on Brett Baer's show, I, I certainly would have scolded you as well. All right. Well, my apologies to Spotify, which carries this show, right? Okay, yes, absolutely. Okay, and, you know, whatever. Where's my $100 million? We should talk to them about that. They also carry your show with Conrad Black and Victor Davis Hanson, uh, Scholars and Sin. Yeah, we got a nice email on that one. You want to read that one? Go ahead. Absolutely. So our friend Joe uh, checked in from South Dakota, said, Hello, Secretary Bennett and Claude. I love your podcast. Keep up the great work. And the Reality 101 mindset. I like the way he put that, Reality 101. We should take that and uh, yeah. incorporate in the show. Because my question Appreciate is, uh, what happened to truth? In the last two years, my wife and I noticed that truth among uh, politicals and media types have almost disappeared. Last week, uh, when President Biden outright lied in a press conference about the gun industry being the only industry in America that cannot be sued, the vaccine makers are 100 percent exempt and have been. Uh, why do mm-hmm. these people outright lie and never say they are sorry or that they were mistaken? Not sure they know the basics of leadership, truth, and honesty. Stay, uh, stay strong, guys. Joe in South Dakota, thank you. Yeah, truth is uh, often a casualty of, uh, of politics, and it's a shame. Um, I don't know. I'm really losing my patience with Biden. I, I was on the other night on TV and maybe the same show. No, different show than when I was talking about Spotify. But uh, I said, I believe, and you know, I've written some history books. I believe, Claude, mm-hmm. this is the worst first year of a president in American history. Maybe, you know, maybe the guys who got shot in the first year, maybe they had a worse year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, or arguably they did, but mm-hmm. not for the country necessarily. Right. But I just, you know, whether you talk about the border, two million plus people just have crossed the border, just walked in. Afghanistan, inflation, crime. Um, it's just, it, it, it's unbelievable. It's mm-hmm. just terrible. Well, you've also got supply chain crisis. You know, it's hard to point out if, if, if you are pro-Biden, it's hard to point out victories. And at some point, and we made mention of this a couple of weeks ago, at some point, the, well, he's not President Trump gets old. You know, at some point, that's just not that's just not a victory anymore. Yeah. No, it even, even for the staunch, most staunch Biden supporters, it's just not. Yeah. 
Let's move on. We got a lot of good emails. Let's go. Let's move on. Yeah. Read a so couple our, more. Right. Our friend uh, Howard Glass says, hi, guys. Listen to the Michael Schellenberger uh, uh, on your podcast. That was Howard about Sad San Francisco. Yeah. San Francisco is the name of the book. Folks, you go back to, uh, and listen to that if you hadn't already. Uh, he says, I am reminded of something a longtime friend of mine told me. She was direct. She was the director of an ARC adult rehab center for the Salvation Army. Uh, she served in at least two different cities. I said, anyone who truly wants to quit drugs can do it. In her experience, it was really that simple. Uh, San Francisco, San Francisco, as Schellenberger calls it. They've now, I think, apparently put out a call for anybody in the city who's willing to house the homeless. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll see how many volunteers there are, you know. Right. <laughs> take take them in your house, right? right? Right. And many of them, like we talked about with in, in during the interview, where the issue isn't necessarily homelessness, it's drug issues uh, and mental health issues. I'll oh, just let them in your house and they can stay there. And that's going to solve everything. Let's see if Nancy Pelosi uh, lends out a wing of her house. Yeah, something tells me that. Uh, you know, Pelosi, you know, the same one who, hey, we got to shut things down, shut things down. Wait, open up the um, the hair salon for me because I got to get my hair done. Something tells me she's not going to open up her doors to folks in San Francisco. No. Well, we'll see. Um, But it's a shame. It's really a shame. Roz sent us an email and uh, I'd like you to read Roz's email because it's really nice. And I think actually speaks for the sentiments of a lot of our listeners. Sure, absolutely. Roz says, Scholars and Sense, which is your podcast with uh, Victor Davis Hanson and Conrad Black, is absolutely the best podcast. Um, Although I guess she's emailing this podcast to tell us that the other one is is the best. But, you know, this one's good, too. I wish uh, y'all would do more, like at least once or twice a week. She wants more work from me, Dr. Bennett. She says, I listen to your Bill Bennett podcast every night. Every night? Every night. Even though we do it once a week. She says, I've listened to the same ones over and over. And no matter how many times I listen to the same ones, I learn something new. It's so nice to listen to Americans that are patriots with common sense. P.S., I would love to meet Mrs. Bennett uh, for I think we could be friends. Well, she's easy to be friends with, as you know, Claude. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, but listening every night, I, mean, I, I better start listening every night. <laughs> you should download Spotify and then listen to your show. Oh, yeah. Don't people. rub it in. Don't rub it in. <laughs> All right. Go ahead with your drug question. Go ahead. There's so many different questions I could ask from this, but I think I'll start with what in the world are they thinking allowing there to be safe spaces for drug addicts to use drugs on the streets? Um, also, uh, $30 million apparently in the HHS budget for distributing uh, clean, sturdy uh, pipes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Meth pipes or pipes that could be used, crack pipes. Um, this is just nuts. It's just totally nuts. And, and you know the worst part of this, really? They said for underserved population. So what does that mean? Minority community. So we're going to the minority community and we're going to give out crack pipes. <laughs> now, you know, if I were a member of the minority community, I'd say, what the hell are you thinking? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why do you want to kill? I mean, this is you know, people die from this stuff. Right. It gets to your point that the people who think this is a good idea aren't the people in the communities that they say they're helping. There's not, no. there's no one in these communities who currently no. live in these situations who would say, Oh, I know what the answer is to the drug addict that's hanging on the street while my kids try to walk home from school. The answer is let's give them clean pipes and clean needles. This will help. That's not, that's not the answer. And and how can you even think that it is? It's unbelievable to me. I, you know, 
Uh, you know, I went to Boston. I was drug czar. Went in fourth grade classroom. Uh, they were all around. They, meaning Democrats, Governor Dukakis, Senator Kennedy, Senator Kerry. I don't know who else. Talked to the kids about drugs. And they said, I said, what should we do? We should, we should fry these guys. You should execute them. Keep them in jail forever. You know, Kennedy and Kerry were aghast at these children, but their children were right. Mm-hmm. Then we walked around the communities most afflicted there in the Boston area, minority communities. People said to me, why, why can't you keep these guys locked up longer? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a, this is a, a, a version of the problem they're having now and talk about in New York, mm-hmm. which is not prosecuting, not keeping the bad guys in prison. People in the community said, I remember one guy said, I want to go out and play ball with my kid on the sidewalk, but I'm afraid to have let him out on the sidewalk. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I mean, uh, and, and even from a political standpoint and party platform stuff, how can you be a party that says free health care for all, but then you also want to give free crack pipes to people? Like, that's anti health care, isn't it? That, that's, I mean, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, this is the clap, but this is the classic white liberal approach. So, after mm-hmm. talking to the kids and going into the community that night, I gave a speech at Harvard, and of course, all the comments were about the need to legalize drugs. Didn't hear that once from the community. Of course not. But from the, the Harvard liberals, I did. Well, and this kind of also gets to what we were talking about with um, the email we received from Joe. I mean, reality 101. Uh, it also reminds me of a quote that you always use on the radio show and the podcast, you know, from Orwell, that oftentimes the first duty of the wisest men is to restate the obvious. There's nothing more obvious than the fact that more drug use, more access to drugs to those who are addicted to it, even if people aren't addicted to it, but especially to those who are addicted to it. It doesn't equal a better situation for anyone, the abuser, the user, or the community uh, in which they are. And I talked about this um, a couple months ago when Sierra and I were in Seattle, how we're walking around downtown Seattle, a beautiful city. We're walking to different restaurants and different stores. And right down the street, as you walk past, you see people openly dealing drugs, using drugs, obviously high on drugs. Um, and, and, and police officers just, you know, a block down the street, not doing anything. And, you know, uh, it was interesting because when we had Michael Schellenberger on the show with uh, his book, San Francisco, uh, we had a couple people email and say, how come you didn't grill him on the Soros stuff? How come you didn't talk about the liberal stuff? I understand that. But isn't it more interesting? The fact that here's a guy who you don't have to question his liberal bona fides. He is literally saying the same thing that we're saying on this show, that he actually agrees that the liberal uh, political um, uh, outlook uh, and policies when it comes to drug addiction and what happens in our in, in big cities that they don't work that it makes it worse and so let's let's put if we can let's put that aside for a second uh, where you may question <laughs> question it because of his connection his source connections I understand that but he's actually on our side with this let's talk about let's talk about that and if he can see it and if he can write this book about it and and if he can put um, you know his credibility with his Soros folks and a super liberal um, uh, contingent there uh, on the line to, to to do this. The least we can do is hear is hear him out because he's on our side on this one. It's reality one on one. Yeah, no, absolutely. And anybody close to it is going to come to that view. Hey, Dr. Bennett, people are back out having fun, getting with family and friends, making new memories. 
in this new world. So me, Sierra, and Manny, we went out to this new uh, uh, monster golf uh, place. It's like a little mini golf thing. It's indoors, glow in the dark, little monsters all over the place while you try to uh, putt around the little 18-hole place. Plus, they've got a little arcade there. Manny had a great time. Sierra and I were happy that he got a chance to burn off some of that energy. And I found that the best way to hold on to those memories is by turning them into art that lasts forever from PaintYourLife.com. When I heard about PaintYourLife.com, I thought, what a great idea. You know, birthdays, anniversaries, weddings, a gift that's probably unexpected, a little outside of the box. But I figured it's got to be expensive. Well, not so. When you go to their website, PaintYourLife.com, you'll see several different pricing options. Man, lots of choices, and they fit any budget. So whether you're on a tight budget, maybe you got a little bit of wiggle room, you can find something that's truly affordable, and the quality is amazing. If you want to give a truly meaningful gift, you've got to try PaintYourLife.com. Get professional hand-painted portraits created from any photo at a truly affordable price, or combine photos of people or places you love into one painting. Choose from a team of world-class artists and work with them until every detail is perfect. User-friendly platforms makes it easy to order a custom-made, hand-painted portrait in less than five minutes. Listen, I can testify. I am no tech genius, and the platform is definitely user-friendly, easy to navigate, easy to use, and you can get it done in less than five minutes. It doesn't take up a lot of your time. And not only do you act fast, PaintYourLife.com acts fast as well. You can receive your portrait in as little as two weeks. Send any picture. It could be yourself, your children, your family, a special place that means something. Maybe someone you love who isn't around anymore and you want to cherish their memory. could even be your pet. It doesn't matter. This makes the perfect birthday, anniversary, or wedding gift. Uh, it's meaningful, it's personal, and can be cherished forever. Again, my wife, Sierra, and I love the process. The platform is easy to use. It doesn't take a long time. And, you know, you do get to go back and forth with the artist. They'll send you something to review. You look at it. If there's any changes you want to make, you let them know. They'll do it. They'll send it back to you. They really work with you. And let me tell you something. I was, like, in awe when I first saw the proof that they sent back to me in the email. And my wife, Sierra, liked it. She liked it. She thought it was okay. Okay, cool. We'll get this. This will be kind of fun. Uh, But when the portrait showed up in the mail and we opened it, her jaw dropped. I mean, I don't know what she was expecting, but whatever she was expecting, this blew her expectations out the water. It exceeded it. So at PaintYourLife.com, there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And now, as a limited offer, get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping to get this special offer, text the word BILL to 64000. That's BILL to 64000. Text BILL to 64000. PaintYourLife.com. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. Terms apply. Available at PaintYourLife.com backslash terms. Again, text BILL to 64000. All right, let's welcome Brian Kennedy and Joel Farkas to the show. Brian, you live in Los Angeles. Uh, I see some citizens are there are suing the city because for not enforcing vagrancy laws and so on. It's one of the beach communities there in L.A. Well, look, the homeless problem both in California and around the country is a product of the Democrat establishment not being interested 
in homeless people. They're not interested. They want to use them as a political tool to make it look like the world is a bad place, that capitalism is bad, and that America's corrupt. Most of the people who are who are homeless today in the big encampments or skid rows around the country, many of them have drug, alcohol, and abuse problems. Why not actually help those people? Why leave them there to fester and to have all these, you know, harms both to them and to our community, our communities, you know, around the country. This is a problem that we can fix. The Democrat establishment doesn't want to fix it. This happens in the big cities controlled by Democrats around the country, not to be too partisan about this, but this does not happen in small town America. I mean, you'll have the occasional homeless person in small town America. But when that happens, typically you try to help, you know, somebody in the local community from the church or from the police force tries to help them, tries to figure out what's going on there. And I think that's that's a it's a political tool. And it's a most unfortunate one. Uh, Brian, I mean, uh, two things that you comment. It seems to me a lot of this stems from the deinstitutionalization of people. We opened up mental institutions, the 80s and 90s, let everybody out. Now we, we let them out. They found that all these drugs and these new drugs and that's you know that that's our problem and uh they flock to cities like la where they're not arrested taken care of and now did you notice the biden administration proposing giving out uh clean sturdy crack pipes did you see that well, you, don't want, you, you don't want those old crack pipes for god's sake you yeah, need no. the, the sturdy new ones and they're probably made in china so it's yeah, it's yeah i mean come on how how, how insane is this yeah but one of the most interesting things that, that uh, I've ever read or studied about the homeless problem is the fact that 80% of the people they believe on Skid Row in Los Angeles have family within 15 miles, meaning that they've been, thro- they kind of, they've been thrown out. They've had, they've had these abuse problems, drug problems. Families don't know what to do, and the people just leave, right? And they go, yeah. they go, they go, they go live that lifestyle. And the LAPD reports that the population of Skid Row surges on the 15th and the 30th, meaning those times of the month where people who are getting public assistance get their checks. And so people go from Skid Row, they some stay on Skid Row, some go home, get their checks, and then come back. And so this is a problem that can be fixed. These are people that need need to have the laws enforced. If they had, if, look, if you, if you simply uh, arrested everybody on Skid Row and then sorted it all out and made it a crime to go to Skid Row, they'd have to go somewhere else. And instead, we're not doing that. We want the problem to fester. And that's a real shame. And it's interesting. I mean, I, I heard, I thought that people came from all over the country to L.A. and San Francisco because, uh, you know, they're well treated. But you're telling me most of them are within 15 miles of their home well, or, or a relative. Yeah, look, people from all over the country moved to California, right, for a variety of reasons. But they ha- but typically people have some kind of infrastructure when they when they move somewhere. Right. They have family. They have friends. I mean, not, you know, but the mere fact that they think 80 percent have family within 15 miles of wherever they are, they're they're homeless. That's a that's a shocking number. And it's one that we really ought to we ought to really take to heart. And if you enforce if you enforce just the laws, the vagrancy laws and anything having to do with drug use, you'd clean up Skid Row. But as I say, I don't think they want to look at all the homeless people in Washington, D.C. Where are they trying to clean that up? Right. It's only when when locals get so outraged that, that do they actually do something. 
you find in San Francisco, it's combined with a lot of crime, too. And so you combine homelessness and crime and these Soros-backed liberal DAs, and you, real, you get a real witch's brew of uh, civil unrest in our big cities that, that is driving sensible people out of those big cities. This is, this is common sense, the kind of common sense policies you'd pursue if you actually cared about homeless people and you actually cared about the well-being of America's great cities, which we do not appear to appear to be interested in right now, which should tell you something about the liberal soul in the year 2022. Brian's exactly right. And, and actually, you can look at the San Francisco Bay Area. You can look at Kings County, which is Seattle, Washington, um, pretty much any place where uh, the homeless population has significant presence. The number 80 percent is on the low end. It could be as high as 85 to 90 percent of homeless people have family within the zip codes very close to where they are homeless. And this this fantasy that Governor Newsom uh, uh, throws out that, oh, um, California has a high homeless population because other states bust them or send them to California is patently verifiably untrue. And it's not just California, as I said just now, it's almost any other major area where homeless people reside. In addition to what Brian also just said about that, our elected officials do not want to solve this problem. Um, we know that why, also. Too. Why not? Why not? Why don't liberals want to solve this problem? Why do they want people out of the street homeless? Why? The belief is it's not a belief. It's actually a, 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 an ideology. Homeless people need to be everywhere. So everyone in the world and in the communities experience it. About 12 or so years ago, the ACLU sued the city and county of Los Angeles over Skid Row that Brian just mentioned. They said that it's irrational and unreasonable to have all the homeless people in L.A. in Skid Row. There was a settlement that was called the Jones Agreement, and the Jones Agreement required the city and county of Los Angeles to stop their police force from enforcing the laws for homelessness and vagrancy until L.A. did two things, provide a 1,350 Home uh, uh, units, uh, housing units in Skid Row, and 1,350 units throughout the rest of LA so that they can make sure that homeless people would reside other places other than Skid Row. Now, this is a, a city of more than 10 million people. So within a year or two, all these, they had complied with this settlement agreement from the ACLU lawsuit. The elected officials refused for more than a decade to get rid of that obligation because they like the idea of having homeless people everywhere throughout Los Angeles and restricting the police from enforcing existing laws on the books. It is a, it is a, it is a verifiable, focused ideology. Well, well, okay. Uh, I want to talk about Ukraine. I want to talk about oil, liquefied natural gas, geopolitics, the new Russia-China pact, a bunch of questions I have about oil and gas. And then I want to go to the geopolitics, mostly with you, Brian, but Mr. Farkas want you to throw in as well. Is that okay? Yeah. And I, I would say, Bill, by the way, it's not oil and gas as if those are discrete things. It's energy more broadly, right? Human beings need energy. They, they, to, they need to heat their homes in the winter and they need to cool them in the summer. They need to move around 
And so it, it's, we never want to sound like we're simply talking about oil and gas for the sake of oil and gas. We're talking about this because this is the lifeblood of both the modern economy right. and, and how people live their lives. Fine. Energy it is. Fine. Um, I stand corrected. I just don't want it to sound like we're a you know commercial no, no. for oil and gas. No, we're not. We're not. We're not. No, but thank you. I mean, we love oil and gas. Joel, you know something about that. Is it true what I found myself saying the other day? That we actually right now import gas from Russia or, or oil? <laughs> yeah, we, we do. We do. We import it from all over the place. Uh, it has to do with the grade and the quality of the oil that's being refined. So the basic business is most of our, ref- uh, a significant amount of our refineries in the Gulf Coast region uh, um, are set up to refine a lower grade of oil, which you would get from Venezuela and Saudi Arabia and, and other locales, including uh including Russia, and that gets refined into gas. The quality of the oil that we produce in the United States is very high quality, but our refineries are not expanded to accept that. So that oil gets exported and it gets in your question gets into it's other there's more than just producing um oil and gas it is how do you refine it how do you distribute it how do you use it and those are the things that um the environmentally woke ideologists in this world what they do is they focus and attack those kinds of processes in addition to the production of the fossil fuel are we net importers of oil and gas now it varies. Um, this, as you can see from, it's a hard question to answer on any given week or every given month because it really okay. varies. Um, which is why the markets go up and go down. You know, that's okay. why the market. That's why. That's why uh, we just had inflation numbers come out and by went up seven and a half. You know, we're at seven and a half percent inflation, but we're at forty percent inflation for energy. For more than forty, so that moves. And then you look at the the wild swings in Europe of the. Um, of their gas prices on million BTUs per million BTUs uh, to put it in the context of the U S dollar, you know, it used to be a dollar 30. Now it's it ranges between four fifty to five fifty. So it, it, it's, a, it, 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 the, the answer to your question depends on the most no, terms of how things are moving. But could we be energy independent? Weren't we in energy? We, independent? we were, we were <laughs> a few years ago. We were but a few years ago, like when, like during the Trump administration, during during the administration of a fellow that I, I voted for uh, and I was pilloried for being a racist for voting for him. Yes. During that administration. And now we're not energy no. independent. No, we're not. Uh, we we have high prices for oil and gas. It's not high prices because demand has gone up that much. Demand is still similar to what it's been for quite some time. The single greatest reason for high prices is the supply has been retarded substantially. It's been cut back our, throughout our the supply. world. Our supply and and other supplies worldwide. The two places that can produce all they want is the Middle East and Russia. Those their supplies have not been restrained or constrained. Other supplies throughout the world have been have been shut down. A month ago, we know about the Nord Stream two pipeline a lot, and we can talk more about it. But literally thirty days ago, the United States, the uh, Anthony Blinken, uh, who's he? Brian is he the Secretary of State? The Secretary of State. Anthony yeah. Blinken. Yes. Anthony Blinken. He he notified Israel and Greece 30 days ago that the United States will no longer um, uh, support the East Med pipeline, which is a gas pipeline from the Leviathan field in Israel to go through Greece to supply Western Europe. 
And 30 days ago, he notified everyone, Israel, Greece, and others, not going to happen. Now, while we have Russia sending gas to Western Europe, in particular Germany, and has basically put a stranglehold on their energy cons- energy provisions, we literally 30 days ago, in the same, same vein, shut down a pipeline, which would be through allies of ours to serve Western Europe. Two weeks ago, um, France just quietly announced a deal with Shamir Energy to buy LNG uh, from the United States, liquefied natural gas. When two years ago, when President Trump was in office, they had announced to buy LNG from another U.S. company and France ceremoniously said, we're not going to buy that dirty fuel. We won't do that. We are. It's the Paris Climate Accords. We would never do that. So now they have realized they have a problem, a serious problem. And in the authorization to allow Chenier Energy to sell LNG to France two weeks ago, the, the correspondence was from Chenier and others, including France, please keep this quiet. We'd like this to be a very quiet transaction and not be mm-hmm. described. Can we be energy independent? Of course we can. We absolutely can be energy independent in the United States. And we can, and our allies without sending troops can be energy independent. Are you saying, in effect, that they didn't make the deal, France, because it was Trump? And they're making the deal now, though they want it to be quiet because it's Biden? Um, One of them. Uh, But now, but when it was Trump, oil was half the price it is now. So no one had a problem. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so when people told others in power, if you do this, you're going to you're going to your prices are going to skyrocket. You're going to Brian was talking about people need to be able to afford how to heat their home and cool their home. They need to be able to do all kinds of things. And now that we have a doubling in, of, of oil prices and a tripling or more of gas prices, all of a sudden that the people in power all over the world said, well, maybe we better find another way. Um, but in the, so find another way. Um, obviously, LNG is the easiest thing to, to send because you put it, you liquefy it, you send it on a ship, you send it to a port, they regasify it and they use it. A pipeline is a longer term project. And, and if you do not, if, if, the, the current administration is beholden to every environmentalist who says under no circumstances will we ever use fossil fuels ever again. So what's the easiest way to, do, to stop using it? Shut down new pipelines. Now, yes, when Trump, Trump was president, he was encouraging production of oil and gas. He was, he was encouraging construction of pipelines. He was in, he was encouraging um, construction of the facilities to uh, to refine and and deliver um, uh, these these fossil fuels. And in every way, every time he did that, he was pilloried as as a, as someone that was killing the planet. And now we have inflation. We now have a lower amount of. Can we hear about supply chain? Well, this is just supply. We have a lower supply of oil and gas, which means we have substantially higher prices. Now we have a crisis throughout throughout the world of people who don't have enough fuel to heat. We had one of the coldest winters in January. They have a, a metric that they look at, the traders of oil and gas look at. Um, it's, a, it's a heating, uh, I can't remember the acronym, but it's a daily heating kind of metric. It's the coldest that they've had in years in January. So everybody needs oil and gas. They need, to, they, they need heat. Now, what happens when you now take all of your limited supply capacities to move gas? Now, the gas that you were sending to manufacturing goods, they, that, that supply costs manufacturers more. 
which is why we have inflation. It is not transitory inflation like Joe Biden said last uh, earlier uh, uh, last year. It's not transitory. It's obvious. It was predictable. I I think also, uh, Joel, isn't it? This seems to me to be very ideological in its nature. It's not like it's not like this is happening because of bad weather or a you know, they could not technologically figure out how to do the pipeline or we were running out of gas or oil or any of these things. This is all being done by people who ideologically believe, it seems to me, a couple things. One is, yes, it's environmental. They don't believe in fossil fuels or, or you know, anything that would lead to the use of the internal combustion engine. They don't believe in that. They don't believe in also people. They don't believe, you know, if they can do the kind of things that make it uh, more difficult for people to have families, right, to be able to afford to live, they're going to do that. Trump was a growth president. He believed in growth. He believed that you can grow the economy, you could improve people's standard of living and more is better. You have people in the Biden administration, but also in Europe, who believe less is better. The yeah. intellectual and ideological framework they're operate, operating under is that the planet has too many people. We need to lower the population and we need to pursue those policies that will get us there. And if what will contribute to that is higher energy prices, good. Let's be for that. Let's make life miserable for people so that people have fewer, you know, kids and that ultimately we can get the population down radically from where it is today. The environmental ideologues have a, a bar chart and an axis, X axis and Y axis. And on the left side, it has a list of say 30 or 40 things that you can do to reduce CO2 emissions. On the right side, on the bottom axis, it says, this is how much CO2 emissions are reduced when you do these things. You could go through on the left up and down axis and come through every single activity to reduce CO2 emissions. It doesn't even come close to doing one thing to re- which reduces way more CO2 emissions and all the other activities combined. And that one thing is one fewer child. So there you go. Yeah. Now, wow. the, the other part of what wow. Brian wow. said with wow. the ideology, why, it doesn't matter why, because we know why. But, and Brian's absolutely right. We technologically know how to, how to supply this energy. We technologically know where it is. We have an ally, a NATO member, I mean, a NATO member, Greece, who was relying on a pipeline going from a gas field from Israel through Greece to Europe. And why did Greece want to rely on the United States? Because Greece has had a longstanding feud and issues with Turkey. United States relationship with Turkey was declining. And this was a, such a logical, political, let alone economic thing to do. And right, and, and nobody, 30 days ago, While we're looking at how Russia has effectively taken over economically Germany and Western Europe, we're now watching something that's going to happen a decade later if we don't do something about it. And that that something is, why would we pull our support from something that's going to help all of our NATO allies? Well, Brian has said this many times in the past. Uh, NATO is just kind of a word today. There's, There's no logic behind some of our decisions other than the fact that there's a group of people that support our current president who want nothing other than fewer people to destroy America and 
to get rid of anything to do with a fossil fuel energy source. I was taken here in, in your last comments, Joel, about the fact that, you know, this was somebody's decision, right? I mean, this didn't yeah. have to happen. Right. I said last night, I said, you know, um, you listen to, to Biden and some of the Democrats, it's like, you know, who knows how this happened? You know, the I said, it's not the invisible hand. It's not the hand of God. It's not Adam Smith's invisible hand. It's the hand of Biden yeah. and this administration. I also said, you can comment briefly on this if you want. I said, I believe if my history is right. This is the worst first year for, for the country of a president in American history. Is there a president who had a, has had a worse first year for America? We've had the worst first year of a presidency ever in American history. I believe whether you're talking about what we've been talking about here this morning or Afghanistan or the border, my God, or inflation or handing out clean, sturdy crack pipes, which is in the HHS budget. When I was in college and I was studying economics, it was right on the heels of the Carter administration. And, and we had a, an oil crisis, gasoline lines. We had inflation that was headed up to the low 22, 23% in interest rates, and inf- not inflation, but interest rates and inflation into the teens. And um, at that time, we, you know, we had all these, uh, these uh, uh, doomsayers that said what Brian said earlier, we have too many people, we're using too many fossil fuels. They admit, but we knew back then they admit CO2 emissions and methane gas, and the solution was nuclear energy. And what did every single environmentalist do back in 19, late 70s and early 80s? They did everything in their power to shut down nuclear energy. Why? Because it would be very inexpensive and it would allow uh, 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 energy for growth and for people and for expansion. And they don't want it. They didn't want it. And they don't and they don't want it today. And this this notion, you know, back in when I went to was taking economics, that inflation doesn't matter and inexpensive energy doesn't matter and helping people to expand their families and their future doesn't matter. We've seen this before and we're in the midst of witnessing it again. No, that 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 seems absolutely right. Uh, And I will just say. Yes, 2021 was the worst year I've ever been living through. Biden did a horrible job. It was despicable from the beginning to the end. It was incompetence, malfeasance, and I think I think the country has never been in a more precarious spot just at the level of presidential leadership. It's 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 not the you're right, it's not the invisible hand. It's the old feckless hand of Joe Biden who, you know, God help us that we could survive his presidency. Uh, now, I do think we will because we we uh, we have a lot of political advantages here. But 2021 was a disaster. This is the worst year of, of uh, any any modern presidency, I will say. Yeah, I don't know if there's one any time in American history, but we'll sure find out from our audience if I got it wrong. What's interesting is that Joe Biden thinks he's doing the right thing. I know, I know, I know, I know. Podcasts have changed the way we get our news, entertainment, politics, everything. Uh-huh. They've rewritten the script. Uh, somebody said to me this morning, I don't read op-eds, but I do listen to podcasts. Mm-hmm. We hope you listen to this one. Well, there's another exciting development that's rewritten the script, too, and that's called Masterworks. Okay. Masterworks enables you to diversify your portfolio. This is for investors. Mm-hmm. 
and potentially protected from market volatility. And you do so by investing in contemporary art with Masterworks. Ah, okay. Now, I'm not up on contemporary art, but boy, it's hot Mm -hmm. and people love it. They're the fintech startup shaking up the alternative investing landscape. It lets you build a portfolio of fine art without spending millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. Invest in Picasso, Warhol. Uh, Invest in paintings by iconic artists like these with Masterworks. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Masterworks has an industry-leading research team, and it's created the first and only platform where anybody can buy and trade shares of paintings, giving you the same access enjoyed by millionaires and billionaires for generations. See, now you're talking my language, because I'm not a big art guy. Like, I sit there and I look at it, I don't get it. But I'm a money person. Give it a try. Our listeners get priority access to their latest offerings at masterworks.art slash bill. Okay. Masterworks.art slash bill. Join a new generation of investors. This is a new deal, boy. This is the the modern world. Join that new generation of investors at masterworks.art slash bill. And folks, see important disclaimers at masterworks.io slash disclaimer. Masterworks, give it a look. All right, that does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to thebillbennettshow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. You can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's billbennettpodcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week.